Welcome to another episode of Dice Talk. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Jerundu. And tonight we have a very special episode planned for you. Our guest this week is Patty Gillen from Haggis and Dragons. One of my all-time favorite actual plays. Very, very entertaining. Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, Patty, and... uh the projects you've got in the works. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Uh, so, yeah, it's Paddy from Haggis and Dragons, which started off as a 5e game and ended up being a whole company in itself, which is really exhausting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, um, lots of projects coming up. Starts off as a D&D 5e game, or our attempt at a live play D&D game, as I'm sure you know, Grindu, and mm-hmm. we, we, we do our best to do badly. <laughs> Following that... I'm fortunate to talk with some really creative minds that allows us to do things like uh, an upcoming audio horror podcast called yeah, St. Kilda. I'm really looking forward to that. Yep. What happens when you get to the edge of the world and doesn't that sound like a good place to run away to and all the things <laughs> that come with that based on an actual island just off the coast of Scotland. And the Haggis and Dragons campaign is starting up on, I would call it tier two for those familiar with the kind of uh, campaign structure yeah. of running a Dungeons and Dragons game. So our first act is done. And this is now the the start of the second one coming soon. Um, current pandemic situation is dependent when we can sit down feasibly together. Yeah, absolutely. And more that I'm sworn to secrecy on, but those are the the next two big ones. Well, brilliant. I guess then it falls to me to uh, to introduce our topic of the day. And so, all three of us are DMs, or have been, or will be in future projects. Um, and being a DM. It's often a case of playing literally everyone and everything in the the world that the players can interact with. And to me, it represents an opportunity to play thousands of different characters and, and flesh out the world that you're, you know, all building together. But just by the sheer, you know, the sheer scale of that task, it can sometimes be an intimidating thing to tackle, um, especially if you're new to the game and you don't have um, perhaps the experience of you know running uh D behind you and um, how do you guys approach inhabiting all these different people it's a combination of i would really like to try and do that voice poorly and, <laughs> it, and the great thing is i think so for example in, in our uh actual play campaign one of the the very early on kind of centric characters to the, the plot line, Miantir, the Emperor of Erevon, yeah. was me spending far too much time watching Madagascar with my kids. <laughs> and I absolutely love uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's version of King Julian. Mm. So to me, in my mind, I am emulating, I appreciate it's a character made by a voiceover actor, and it's I am trying to do that as close as possible, and I'm really not there, but I'm doing that poorly a job at it that if you listen back, you can go, I think I know what he's trying to do, and it's different, and it keeps it, it keeps it interesting and different from the guardsman, the stereotypical mm-hmm. foot slogger, you know, the the people that you never ever really as dungeon masters have time to pad out. Then sure. you have to remember what that voice was the last time because you know the characters are just held on to them, and yeah. that's the bit that's really really interesting and compelling. So it, it's either likable characters from the world around us or the old uh, seven dwarfs methodology if you've ever used that or, or heard of that no do tell so seven dwarves is fundamentally writing down the old classics from disney and mm-hmm. writing them down in such a way on a sheet of a4 paper that they're spaced out along with fast slow or regular and if i can stick my hand down in a sheet of paper whatever my fingers come closest to like a slow grumpy Sure. That that gives me one character that I can just you know pull off and and go for, and these are really for the people that I've had no time to prep for because I thought, why would you go that way? Why would you turn left? Why would you talk to this person? But there's somebody yeah. there, so uh, I've got a list of NPC names just in case, and I've got a format that says, okay, it could be a a fast grumpy, it could be a a slow dopey, it could be a regular bashful something that gives me something to look at and go for and then from Mm. there it's what did i watch that day what did my kids tell me about that day did i meet somebody in the shops that i thought i'm going to remember you (laughs) (laughs) absolutely and from from there you just these voices just sit in the back of my mind for a while 
Yeah, definitely. Just percolating around. How about you, Jeremy? Yeah, I was thinking that's a really great way to approach it is to kind of have something so you don't have to remember a whole bunch of things that you thought of previously just to like put your hand down and come up with a quick idea like that. Mm. I find something I tend to do is if I can't think of something right at the last minute, something new, I'll often use characters I've already played as myself in other games. So I might uh, like a play you know, Eric the Magnificent from the Mojo's Bloodsport and some other things. And if I need a quick NPC, he's a very fleshed out NPC because I've played like he's a player character to me. So like I like to do that because they're so fleshed out, Mm -hmm. especially if I'm playing with people that don't know those characters already. Um, But I really like what you said. I think it's a good idea to have something prepared that you can just reference really quickly, but it's not like some exhausted list of names and, you know, descriptions and stuff like that. There's always two sides of your brain, isn't there? Which is, what am I going to say to this person in light mm-hmm. of an interaction? So it could be somebody wants to buy a bigger sword or steal a bigger sword, as, as often sure, sometimes yeah. happens. So whilst I'm thinking about that, my brain doesn't have the capacity to think, how am I going to deliver that message? What are they going to look like? So having that mechanic is just, you know, that that's taken care of. And a lot of people might end up sounding slow or grumpy. I just kind of backwards manufacture it into oh this town is full of grumpy people now sure i can't do something similar but i I don't consciously do it so pretty much the first npc that my players will talk to will have an accent of some description whether it's like more similar to sort of my regional accent or or something that i feel i can comfortably emulate for um long periods of time um so first person they talk to at the gate disinterested guys like all right, that's what you what you're looking in for. You you have to come in, right? Yeah, all this. Then you might go in a bit further on. And then because I've started off with a, a northern English voice, the the lady who runs the tea shop, like, all right, love, have a seat. Yeah, come on, get kettles on. Yeah, that's right, feet up, all this. But then you've got yeah, as you say, you know, within the context of exploring that world, um, particularly in a city, like most people are going to be, if you're going to, the party is going to encounter. Aren't really going to give two shits about the party. They've got their own stuff to attend to, so just try and make those characters non-compelling and save yourself a bit of work. I mean, unfortunately, you can't dictate who the party will find um, <laughs> that they're magnetically attracted to, and you might inadvertently, as I have often done, give an incredible voice to someone I want, really would prefer the party just left alone forever. I'm Roland the Barman. Hello. I am Roland. (laughs) I service you with drinks this evening. And then because I've given Roland that voice, they just want me to speak like Roland all the time, so they keep him around. Um. That's the the Jasper mechanic for me. That's the the very first character. He was just meant to be the guy that gets them from point A to point B. They could use him, steal his wagon, do whatever. The breadcrumbs were there, right, when you're... When you're DMing, it's give the players a breadcrumb of where you'd kind of like them to go. Yeah. It's, they would not leave them alone. <laughs> and just, anybody yeah. who's listened knows we are where we are with Jasper. So. <laughs> I think, yeah, you, you give players... I mean, you can't... You, it's impossible to dictate what players are going to find interesting or what tangents they might go off on. As I say, you can try and mitigate that by just not having certain people you know if you're in a crowded town square for the sake of flavor you can't just pretend that there's not going to be hundreds of people milling about for instance if they could if anybody in the party stops any one of those crowds then i'm really sorry i can't stop i've got to go to an important meeting i'm sorry no no i really can't stop goodbye and if they <laughs> insist it's like guards this man is harassing me and then you know that's got you out of that <laughs> it might have opened up a different can of worms um but so yeah, that's that's the kind of philosophy that I try and roll with because particularly with the kind of players that I tend to play with, they have Larry David tendencies. I've much much like with Jasper, they just might victimize or champion any one NPC for any minor reason, and then that becomes the focus of the next three hours, sort of thing. Which is there's nothing wrong with that. That can and is you know, can be and is fun often. But um, if you really want to tell a story, it's best to sort of play things as they would be in real life, particularly in like city settings, because you can just literally just have people brush the party off uh, and draw, give really bold character motions and stuff to the people you want to draw attention to. I think would be my main 
piece of advice. Obviously, I don't follow it myself all the time. Based on your description, Jerundu, and just because me knowing you so well and playing with you all the time, voices are always a really big part of the characters you play and the characters you're trying to inhabit your world with. So Mm. where would the two of you say that you usually start when you're planning uh, NPCs? Because I know, Patty, you mentioned you have your chart, but that's kind of for last minute NPCs, right? So do you plan in-depth NPCs? And if so, uh, where do you like to start? I have rough concepts of each character's ready. And I try to write them as ambiguous as possible that they can be put anywhere. Um, unless they're a major plot point, of course, in which case they're a bit of a different NPC. But um, So I have uh, the town guard with dementia who always ends up on night shift. <laughs> and how he sounds and where he comes from and his interactions and pacing. So uh, a lot of my... We always like to talk about over-preparing Whenever we come Mm -hmm. for a campaign, you never know what people are going to do. You have that anxiety before the game starts. For me, it's NPC is the thing that I overprep for every (laughs) single time. Um, So there is a catalog of people there ready to go. And it is on the basis of, is it a fun interaction? Is it something that there might be a little spark of story in there? And would they like to to unravel that and follow that. Um, I'm a huge believer of, no matter if you play a homebrew campaign, which is my preference, or you play a pre-prepared campaign the story should never really be rushed um mm. i've i've done that a couple of times with one shots and i just can't get it right a one shot for me isn't one night <laughs> it's usually four nights that we try our hardest um, <laughs> we we might cut that down on audio to one night and it might seem like one episode but it's not so having those npcs of what is that reaction like and mm. what's what's the purpose behind an npc jeremy is it, for me is it they keep the person from the edge of the map do they drive the sure. person in a direction? Do they keep somebody away from a thing I'd rather not let them see? But there's subtleties enough that I know, you know, I've got a strong party of headlo- headstrong orcs. What are they going to interact with? They're not going to listen to uh, the halfling peddling turnips. They're not. They're going to listen to something bigger, better, different, or engaging. So trying to have all those guys in my head prepared to say, they just need to turn a little bit, you know, or they need to turn right around to go the other way. <laughs> That's like that's invisible, what I can prep for. Visible constraints that they don't even know are there. Exactly. It's not quite the Assassin's Creed thing of you run to the end of the map and it's the fog and they go, hmm, you've not quite unlocked that memory yet. But it's enough to say, I have a map of my world and it's expansive and they could theoretically go anywhere, but you always want to give it a bit at a time or, sure. make them, or make them feel the difference of every mile they walk. It's not going to be okay, so you're traveling for six hours and this happens. No, that's a huge opportunity to do so much stuff in. Yeah, absolutely. I'm always um, a big one for like wilderness and survival encounters. I like that. Traveling between, you know, vast distances. Um, I had a friend who basically sent us all on a death march for a desert in one game, um, which sounds horrible, but it was fun to play through. We all survived just about. But yeah, I wouldn't want to do it every session, but certainly like having to really, really micromanage like rationing food and wondering where we're going to find water, uh, trying to use all our little, you know, creative powers and special abilities to just make it through um, the environment that we were traveling through without any actual overt threats. Really, although this is a complete tangent really from our topic, um, really is quite rewarding, I think, to do. Especially if you've got a bit of a sadistic streak as a DM. (laughs) Part of those sorts of stories are relatable, I think, to the NPC topic that I guess we're talking about as well, because Mm -hmm. your character may have an affiliation with an NPC and they may feel drawn to them. They may want to protect them. They may want to put them at harm's risk if you've got somebody sadistic enough, as you tend to (laughs) think, from a player's perspective. So it can be, do the players... um, huddle up together and say we've got enough food for the four five six of us how many people there are in your party or do they actually take into account the fact that you know there's the old frail man who's going along with them that there's a family with kids there the start of our second tier or act of our campaign does a little bit of that interaction and it makes you think oh some of the guys you can definitely see their agendas setting up Mm. and how they like to do stuff but npcs can very definitely get the players to feel more in love with their characters and more attached to them and the NPCs that are affecting them or not. Well, I guess NPCs give player characters a chance to actually show more of their character, the you know the the content of their character, 
how they would react to things, their moods, their um, their expressions, and um, mostly, you, you know, you're probably going to find that mostly in the gaming setting through adversity. So, I mean, NPCs also include things like your enemies, obviously your BBEGs, you know, you're, uh, just running run-of-the-mill grunts, but also every positive character that you, you know, your players can have an interaction with um, as well. I think partly how you form those has to be informed by the party itself out of character and what their expectations from the game are, what they're comfortable with, and, you know, that informs a lot of how far you can go with your NPCs. So I think it's, you know, it, it is important, especially with a group of people you don't know, to kind of have a session zero, if for no other reason than to manage expectations. You you may all agree on absolutely everything, but at least you know you know that's going to be the case going forward. And it means that you're not going to offend anybody by completely unintentionally hitting any of their triggers, you know? So uh, that's, you know, perhaps a more sort of heavy topic, but it doesn't really need to be as far as I'm concerned. I think it's as long as everybody's upfront and open about what they expect from the game before you start, you shouldn't have any issues developing that world together. One thing that I try to do and encourage um, is we do two episode zeros. Mm -hmm. And the first one is the players. So it's trying to understand what are the dynamics of the party. You know, I, I am absolutely not one that will say there has to be a healer in the party, there has to be a tank, you know, there has to be a sneaky character, you know. Mm-hmm. People can turn up whatever they want to be. We're trying to pull together a game just now where it is a band of bards trying to book their first gig. As a dungeon master, I know every one of us just now is feeling that angst of a party of bards. <laughs> I have played in an all bad party. Yeah, it was, it was fun, but I'm glad I wasn't DMing it. <laughs> and then on the flip side of that is making sure the characters have got that real playthrough episode zero so no matter what it is are you going on a quick fetch quest are you checking somebody's all right whatever the mechanics are it's not massively critical but it's good to see not just how the players interact because the players can absolutely get on as long as they understand oh you're the narcissist of the group or Mm -hmm. you're the nice guy of the group you're the people talker um you know if they can understand that then you can see the players connecting and then if Absolutely. We take a little bit of more time and have that episode zero with the characters interacting. And like you say, now I know what NPCs can trigger or not, or stay away from or not. Yeah, and even just on a on not a triggering notice, on a, you know, it's just what kind of NPCs the characters are more likely to want to interact with, which is, you know, ultimately um, the goal, to understand your players and not to manipulate them, but to provide them with a rewarding and fun experience, so... Yay. Yay for good times. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) So when you are making your NPCs, um, you said you like to use them, Patty, to kind of not only flesh out the world and interact with your, you know, players to make it fun and interesting, but as a sort of invisible barrier to, you know, pull them in to make sure they don't wander too far into areas you haven't even considered. Mm. Have you ever made like a, what they call like a DM NPC where they kind of stick with the party? And if so, what changes do you think you need to make while playing those types of NPCs so that you're not the one making all the decisions, but you are steering them, but you're not playing the game. You're leading, you know, you're DMing. Yeah. Great question. Um, I've never done it. Um, I've had it done to me when I was about 18 or 19. I think I was playing 3.5 then. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as, as the new keen guy wanted to come in and take all your feats and riding abilities, because you think that one chance I'm going to get to stick a lance into something, that's <laughs> going to be beautiful. But that was a waste of a character. <laughs> but I have found a way to do that positively, which is where Bucky, who plays our cleric, Ivor Dranor, joined a game that we did. And I, I created it, it as was, it was a homebrew session based on the old rock, paper, scissors system, you know, no real dice. And we had a new character come in, a new player come in who's never played roleplay games before and didn't really know what's the right things to do. You know, there was a level of comfort that he wanted to spend time with us and do this because he heard how much fun we were having, but he'd never done it before. And Bucky was one of the guys who wasn't actually involved in the game. Um, there's an ongoing joke that we're his plan B. So if ever he wants to play with haggis and dragons it's because he's got nothing better to do <laughs> and, and his his a group haven't turned up so bucky's been a dm he's run marvel cinematic universe ttrpgs and dc ones and things like that so what we did was bring bucky in as uh, our friend's backup but the way that we made it work was his character was a conscience we made it that he was an invisible friend an imaginary friend that only he could see and put him in the form of a centaur so that he would just follow him around everywhere. Kind of like the operatic singer from Scrubs that goes, Mistake! He was the guy (laughs) who 
did that and said, oh, you don't want to be doing that. You don't want to go there. You don't want to. Oh, that's a good idea. You should definitely go for it. So that on those nights that he couldn't actually turn up, the, the character's basically going, oh, where's that bloody centaur? And all the characters are going, is he losing his shit? Is he okay? What, what so centaur? It, <laughs> it, it, it added to a lovely sense of role play, but it was something nice. that, it, mm. as you say, Jeremy, you never want to shoehorn the guys into anything. And I've had it done to me before, and it sucks when it's done that way. Mm-hmm. But that way I can say, I, I don't include them on the meta plot, but it's just, here's a little thing that you know. Let, let's work on your character together and what he can do mm-hmm. and what he can interact with. And that's enough for him to go, I, I want the best thing for my player. So he's going to succeed. And that, that kind of works. I'd, I've kind of done it, but not in D&D. Having a DM character, uh, it was in... Uh, Numenera, uh, which is a game set in the, the distant future. Um, I had a, the party would, had established themselves in this, um, this ancient floating pyramid that was full of technology they didn't understand. Um, the custodian of this pyramid was a extremely grumpy robot called Betamax. And the guys that I was playing with were pretty new to, some of them were entirely new to tabletop RPGs. Others had sort of dipped their toe in maybe like 15 years ago and not played since. So just really as a mechanism to get them sort of uh, kickstarted into, into playing the game and what I was expecting from them. It was, it's a good, it was a good way of, um, with him being a robot, he was really reluctant to actually, he, he was trying to rebel against his programming and didn't want to be in service to the player characters. So he would, be extremely reluctant to give them any information. So rather than it just being DMX machina for every situation, it's sort of like they really had to work with this antagonistic robot who had the key to all this technology that they in this pyramid they lived in and didn't really want to give them any <laughs> um, assistance. So Betamax would be like, you disgusting flashbacks have summoned me from my slumber. What do you require now? And they'd be like, Betamax, can you open the cargo doors? I'm like, mm, I will do it, but I will warn you that uh, further transgressions will be met with non-compliance. <laughs> that sort of thing. So, but yeah, basically, I made him kind of like an evil genie. He would do the things that you wanted to do, but there would probably be consequences and you would have to be very, very careful how you worded what you wanted Betamax to do. Um, but in that way, I could also volunteer information in bits and pieces to try and sort of poke them to go where they wanted. And having a big indestructible robot to go around, he wouldn't fight at all. <laughs> so they had to fend for themselves. Any problems they've created, they had to sort out themselves. And Betamax was basically just there to make sure they didn't all die because they uh, picked a fight in the first tavern they went into. He kind of stuck around out for a while after that because I enjoy being really horrible to my <laughs> to my players as Betamax. Yeah, I find one of the issues you sometimes run into with the DM NPC, which I suppose in certain situations it you know it might be relevant to the plot, or you might be able to do it in such a way that it is beneficial. But one of the issues besides accidentally maybe railroading your players too much um, is like when you get into combat, you're mm-hmm. you kind of unbalance things, and you need to make sure like on the other side you're you're preparing for the fact that they have a whole nother party member that might be participating. And I feel like sometimes that unbalance is one of the big issues in our last episode, which Drundu and I actually just recorded a few hours ago. Um, we discussed like a sentient weapon, a magic weapon. And I think you could use a sentient weapon. That is something like someone wields. It's not adding an additional character to the party, but it can yeah. speak. So if like there's some sort of information this NPC is providing to the plot, you can use that. So it's like you, you kind of, it's like a balance in between where you can use it to help steer the plot, but you're not unbalancing every single encounter you run into. I mean, I guess yeah. depending on how powerful your sentient weapon is, I guess you could make it ridiculous. Well, it's Johnny Normal Sword, but with uh, a personality. But like I say, that's, that's essentially the function that a DM character should serve is guide a party of potentially new players and sort of help them feel comfortable role-playing. That's basically what I did. And to make sure that I didn't kill them by accidentally engineering situations that were too deadly for them to um, navigate at the level of comfortability with the rules. It's the same thing as potentially having NPCs who may be combat ready, for example, and it's an expectation of, they will save me. You know, I'm going to yeah, run into this exactly. place. That- yeah, you know, the, the tavern master at some point is going to step back and separate people and push them outside and, you know, no problems here sort of thing. And they never expect to 
the guy from ah, I forget the name of the tavern in Waterdeep now. I'm looking at that map again, Jeremy, and it escapes me. But they never expect the old barman to be a legendary fighter to pull a great sword across the bar and get oh, the yawning in. portal in. The yawning portal, yes. So there's all I never want to have that expectation with players that says, You got yourselves into this. There are repercussions, and I'm I'm a massive fan advocate of consequences. Yeah, definitely. And and I'll I'll very definitely go carefully back through my notes of what's happened and change things. So you stole that guy's horse. Okay. I have. I was just about to say I have these moments, exact moments with my players where there'll be there'll be a moment of like, what really? It was like, yeah, fifty armed guards have stormed the room because you've walked into a CEO's office waving weapons about. You just walked straight past the front desk and didn't check for any alarms or anything. So, you know, that's what happens. <laughs> you got to deal with it now. <laughs> Hi, I'm Cameron. I'm Christian. I'm Dylan. And, and we're, we're Table, Table Talk. Talk. Join us as we bring together longtime dungeon masters and players, YouTubers and podcasters, authors, and more. To chat about everything Table Talk RPG related. Everything from play styles, world building and lexicon, game reviews, interviews with professional content creators, homebrewed monsters and spells, lore, and even special holiday-themed content. Keep those dice rolling. Hail Vecna! Space. The final frontier. Mayday alert. We are under attack. Oh, blarney. I kind of got to watch the tube for 10 seconds. Rerouting auxiliary power to abjuration shields. Someone get on those cannons. We've got company. Are you looking for a Dungeons & Dragons sci-fi fantasy space adventure? Then what you are looking for is Eclipse. Join our crew every other week as we struggle to keep the galaxy safe. With Dr. Shepard, the Illithid Cleric. Space pirates. That was wild. Ava Elkin, the human monk. If we play our cards right, we might not be totally screwed. Lita Nove, the ASMR bard. We should be arriving in Amaron in about two hours. Info O. Scott, the Warforged Artificer. Alright, I'm just gonna go ahead and fire the sonic cannon here. Kanan Vargas, the Tiefling Sorcerer. Does anybody else think this is like a super aggressive move? And I'm Jeremy Fair. I will be your dungeon master. Eclipse can be found on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere you like to get your podcasts. I think the, the best and most weird thing that's happened, it's still hanging over the party just now, is at the end, if, if you're up to, if you're most recently up to date, some of the episodes at the end of Act 1, if you like, our lovely cleric released an astral dragon into the world of Solzheim. And may not have actually read the scroll that I gave him, more just decided I'm going to invoke an astral dragon I've got one of these things it's a thing, I'm going to do it and then didn't realise he was supposed to read the scroll and complete the ritual if he didn't complete the ritual the astral dragon stays in the current plane of existence, so what do you think is going to happen with an astral dragon flying about, is that going to attract some attention, are people going to think how did he do that? Did he summon that? Could he do it again? Christ, he's dangerous. So it could be <laughs> the most wanted hero, quote-unquote. Yeah, absolutely. In this part of the world. And what is that thing going to then do to the, the ecosystem? And then I, I start to go into overthinking and overplanning. I, think, I, think, I believe that's what they call emergent narrative. It's like it's grown organically from stuff that your players have done completely unprompted or with minimal prompting. Obviously, he allowed him to have that scroll, but you have no idea that he was a going to use it when he did, b not use it properly, and then consequences. So you know, it's always everything that the players do and everything that you, uh, every interaction you have with them is a potential tangent to take the the story in a new direction. Or you know, if you find something particularly interesting, you inadvertently give an NPC an amazing voice, and you don't have anything for them right now. Maybe next session they go back, and then. Roland the barman has a grave issue that needs to be addressed. Come, patrons, to the back room. And then, you know, Roland's wife's been kidnapped or something. It's just, there's, there's always, there's always going to be opportunities for you to do that. You know, that's, that's part of the world building. You can spin off like what could be a, considered a side quest into this enormous branching thing just because of all the, every NPC represents a branch that you can, you know, things can go in a different direction. And I'm talking a lot with my hands, which isn't really conducive to a, a podcasting, but rest assured, I was doing branching hand motions there, and it was fluid and, and delightful, dear listener. 
I mean, we've covered, we've covered this a little bit, but uh, what do you think about different methods of establishing characterization? Because not everybody feels as comfortable as, as we might about doing different voices. But I think there's plenty of little little things that you can do to differentiate NPC voices from each other without having to have a wide command of different impressions or accents or whatever you can pull out of the bag. You guys got any thoughts about any little hints and tricks? The the biggest one for me that I've found, and I say this because I caught with it during my actual, you know, the job that pays the bills as opposed to the job I really love doing and I want to keep doing for the rest of my life, which is mm-hmm. which is DM and Haggis and Dragons. Because I'm a Scotsman, if I get excited about things, I tend to speed up. Mm-hmm. And anybody within a 100-mile radius can generally understand me. And I don't think my accent's that strong. No. I think it's okay. I think it's bearable. And I used to work with a load of guys in New York, in California, London, Germany. Uh, my partner's Romanian. So I know a lot about slowing down, just as simple as that sounds, or mm-hmm. the very excitable person who's sitting about who has the exact same accent, but everything's okay. Speed plays a huge part, as well as the amount of breath you allow yourself to take. Um, yeah. I think Roland the barman has a very gather a lot of air in and push it out really yes, quickly. It's quite yes. an operatic timbre. Yes, from exactly. the diaphragm, you know. <laughs> so I started off with pace. And then the amount of air I was pushing out. And then I just started messing about. And I do have a bit of a musical ear. I think you were a singer or are a singer as well. That's right, yeah, I was, yeah. yeah. So I'm a drummer and a guitar player. Um, not at the same time. Um, <laughs> My God. But- <laughs> you guys can't see, but he has four arms. <laughs> he's Goro, uh, everybody. Goro, ladies and gentlemen. Um, that explains the back problems. I'm just sitting in my chair doing nothing. <laughs> A mouse, a keyboard, <laughs> a pint. Um, it, it allows me to start off there and go into music to pull out anybody that I would do typically as karaoke. Um, it allows me to go deep in the bag and then find things from movies so I can hear it a little bit. And I think you said this in one of your previous episodes, Jeremy, was sometimes you just find yourself talking to yourself. If it's in the car, if you're going to a session, if I'm just walking around the house and it's just me and my son, who's four, he doesn't mind. In fact, he loves it. So, yes, I can be Emperor Miantia walking around the house. <laughs> Pick up your toys, silly boy. Please put them over there. I'm going to get a biscuit. Don't tell your mother you're having chocolate now. Everything will be okay. <laughs> I upset my wife doing that. It's because sometimes I'll get stuck in like a South African ac- accent for quite a while and I can't stop it. It's really, really hard. I'll be just sounding like I'm from Joburg all afternoon. And then the one she particularly doesn't like is Jambalan. I'm trying to change into, <laughs> trying to change accent midstream. It's really difficult. You're normally pretty good at it on sign offs. So you usually go through the whole list. Jambalan Pendergrass. I'm a good old boy, cowboy fella. Usually, uh, she, she don't like him, especially when I verge into sling blade territory. She don't like that at all. Shouldn't have done that little boy. He's just a boy. Fortunately, he kind of evolved into a little bit more uh, Arthur Morgan than uh, Slang Blade, so she uh, she can put up with that one a little bit better now. But yeah, I um, yeah, I find myself just doing voices all the time. But as I say, if you're not comfortable doing that or you don't feel that you are, like one, cut yourself some slack because some of the impressions that I do don't sound anything like the person that they're supposed to sound like. But it's it's more of a you know, it's, it's an impression. It's not a, a complete impersonation. And secondly, you can do things just like, as as Paddy says, changing the speed of the, your voice or the way that you intone or your delivery. So you could talk always like this. I am having to emphasize every single thing I do, like George Costanza's dad in Seinfeld, for instance. You know, <laughs> really staccato kind of way. You want a piece of me? And it's just like you're almost, as you say, you being quite percussive when you speak. I'm like literally hammering the point out on my hand or you know you just set your face in a certain way and it will change naturally how your voice comes out so for the shiver one shot we did when i was uh jerry higgins i uh relaxed my face and just like let my cheeks puff out i'd be talking like this but even if i don't put on an accent i just use my normal voice i talk a bit more like you know putting you putting you out like this it would work especially with an english voice to sound like a really rather posh fellow um you know you know 
of that kind of characterizes it of you've you're already seen a picture in your mind's eye of a you know perhaps more stout chap uh in his you know perhaps a middle-aged slightly more overweight fellow you know all i did there was to puff out my cheeks when i talk um but yeah even something as simple as your facial expression i don't know if you've ever spent any amount of time in a call center or call center adjacent work you will know that if you smile and you talk when you smile it affects how you intone and it affects how you carry across that that Facial expression does have a direct effect on how you speak. And if likewise, if you frown and are sullen and you've got everything all sort of compressed, but you stand there with your arms crossed across your chest, you know, oh, yeah, well, I'm a bit more throaty now, gravelly, <laughs> and I. And I'm doing accents when I'm doing it, but you, you wouldn't need to. It would change, you know, the way that you do it just by the way you carry yourself. And that kind of physicality really does make a quite a big difference as to how you um, sound uh, without having to, you know, have this repertoire of, various different accents you can just launch into at any any moment you know but yeah that's those, those would be my sort of uh little tips and hints yeah i think if you can give them like an attitude yeah yeah like if you i mean and this might be better for more fleshed out characters like a player character or an npc that's reoccurring especially on like a production or something like that but like give him an at like a gob you know like Gabo. he's kind of uh he's just like <laughs> kind of a prick i mean he's a nice guy he's gonna do the right thing at the end of the day you know but uh he's just you know, like you have to have an, like an attitude, and and uh, I think that's yeah, definitely. I mean, really, that's just kind of acting, I guess. You have to, well, you, if you can really try to put yourself in that character, and and that's I guess easier said well, than what done. What is what is role playing? It'll help you develop the character as you go. It's acting, isn't it? Role playing is acting, and it's just whether or not the thing that dictates whether or not you're good at it mostly is your degree of comfort with it. Yeah, com- it's not even so much confidence. If you're comfortable with the table you're around, yeah, exactly. Then the people that are sitting there. You know, they're not invested in my story. I'm invested in theirs as players. Mm-hmm. And I want to give them an evening of entertainment. Because Haggis and Dragons sits down together with, you know, an audio set up and a desk and individual microphones, then that's part of the reason why we're a bit slower to get into campaign two, or not campaign two, it's still the same campaign, act two, sorry. Sure. But when we sit down together, it then means that those guys have no idea what I've been prepping. And they, they know something's coming because I don't have a good poker face. <laughs> and... I think during our episode one on, no, our episode zero on the Curse of Strad, which we've just started releasing and started recording, I had one of the, the BBEGs break out with the whole Backstreet Backs line. <laughs> and you could see, because I was watching each of the cameras at the time, you could just yeah, see, yeah. fuck's sake. <laughs> the pleasure of being able to do that on a podcast that's not necessarily mm-hmm. video related. And you can hear the giggles and you can see them all look at me as I'm about to go into something like Gilbert Gottfried. I nearly <laughs> broke my voice that day. My clitoris! <laughs> <laughs> Why is everything so shit around here? What the <laughs> fuck is going on? And you can... I had to have about three whiskeys to start off that night. And after I was finished, it was uh, my best friend Ross's wife comes in and she just kind of goes... I don't know what you guys do. I really don't want to know, but I'm going to listen. And if I enjoy it, <laughs> so there's, I'm not necessarily good at it. It's a really broken New York-ish accent, I guess, but it's wow. as close as I can get and I'm comfortable doing it and I'm all right doing it at a table of people that I'm cool with. So, Yeah, I did, I did one for a Christmas special too. And I tell Giovanni, he's a, he's a real, he's a real asshole. <laughs> it's, just not a nice guy at all. He eats his feelings and he's drunk. Like 90% of the time, he's got a mistress that he doesn't really want and can't get rid of. And uh, it stresses him out. He's got an ulcer and he <laughs> killed Garbo's best friend over $40. <laughs> yeah, things happen. <laughs> well, he goes hang out behind the dairy What are you going to do? I mean, yeah, he drove me home. <laughs> <laughs> Three of those voices. Oh, my God. I-, I would love to do like a... Goodfellas one shot or something that would be so much fun I, I, I may ask you about something that I'm currently working on to see if we could do it for a laugh um, if I, I'll give you the bones of it I can't go into too much detail but the next thing that I'm going to be working on is we talked about the barman the tavern keeper the general go-to place for people to mm-hmm. get to sometimes people just don't want to go on quests they want to sit in a tavern and drink ale and eat chicken so the, the tavern that we have in the Erevon City gets frequented a lot and gets a lot of different people coming in. 
So I'm going to be doing a little bit of a mini episode of me as the tavern keeper in there with visitors coming in, just telling Ooh. their life story on a 20 minute, 30 minute thing. So that could be something like, hey, who's around in here? Come on, I'm buying, now you're buying, asshole. Now come on, hey, barkeep. And then from there, just whatever happens. And it's just this 20 or 30 minute thing with the barkeeper at the end, who obviously is still going to be there. You know, that's his, that's where he lives. That's where yeah, he works. Yeah, sure. It's that's where his family people. is. Yeah, and there's just people walking in and out all the time that he's never going to see again. Yeah, essentially just got a framework for anthology tales, which is, um, yeah, great. That's a, I really love that. I mean, this is like, again, we're going off a bit of a tangent here, but playing with the D&D format and working that into shows and adapting that to make it, you know, work to a stream like what we've done on the network with NBA, uh, which we'll have to have you on sometime as well, is a sort of have a, an arena-based show where myself and Adam, a glorious leader on the network, sort of co-DM a, a, a one-shot encounter within the framework as if we're with commentators of this live sporting event. So it's been really, really good fun adapting D&D to that and sort of having that within a quite tight two-hour time limit because we record on Monday night, like from 10 till midnight. Which obviously, as you you yourself know, uh, in the UK is not ideal on a Monday night. But the sacrifices I make to uh, secure my position over in the US, I'm remorseless in my pursuit of uh, <laughs> of an audience. Yeah, so yeah, I, I got made redundant. I got nothing to lose. I'm a I'm a night owl. Getting up for nine o'clock in the morning is something that I will always struggle with. Yeah, um, part of my job involves driving around well it did involve driving around i should say yeah probably not um, so much now right no but <laughs> if it's you know 12 o'clock one o'clock two o'clock i am up man i'm kind of the same uh, but my work uh, when i was working i was starting at seven in the morning and then working working seven threes so and then i'd be up before that with the dog to take her for a walk like Monday, tuesday mornings were not my favorite <laughs> when I was still at work, but I'm a night owl by nature too. So yeah, we'll have to have you on NBA sometime because uh, it's a lot of fun. It's an, a nice excuse to get a rotating cast of people. We do do open casting, although we've been somewhat lax on that over the Christmas period. But we do do open casting for NBA. Um, we like to meet new people from all all different kinds of you know parts of the community. We sort of try and make everybody feel welcome. And we just want to give people a chance to like show off their really cool characters. They're often min-maxed exceedingly well beyond what uh, either myself or Adam are prepared for. <laughs> we haven't had a death yet, although I feel like we could have done, except Adam's a bit too soft-hearted. He needs me to be there to be a, a cruel, callous individual who will pick off a player one time. But, I'll, I'll um, happily be that player. I enjoy that <laughs> thing as much as an next person. <laughs> we've, had some, uh, we've had some good episodes uh, all up on the YouTube uh, Majestic Goose YouTube, by the way, if you guys want to check those out, as I strongly recommend you do, as I strongly recommend you check out all of our Majestic Goose shows and all of the stuff that uh, uh, Haggis and Dragons is up to, too. Everything that we've said so far about developing NPCs, I think can be applied to any tabletop role-playing game. Agreed. Or uh, even any sort of improv act or anything mm -hmm. like that. We've actually haven't mentioned very much that's specific about only the Dungeons and Dragons platform. And, and if you were developing an NPC for Dungeons and Dragons, do you think you think of like, what's this character's background or like their class when you're trying to develop them? Or do you kind of think of like, well, they're not like a warrior or a barbarian. They're the blacksmith. Like, what would you say? Are you, are you creating their personalities based off of like their position in the society? Or do you try to approach it like this person's a warrior? This person's a sorcerer. Um, and I asked that because they've just come out with these new things called sidekicks, which is kind of a way to, um, this is in the Tasha's Cauldron book that just kind of generalizes these ideas. So you don't, you know, they just had three main ones, an expert, a spellcaster, and a warrior, and I thought that was a really good, uh, you know, you're, you're not saying this is a wizard or a warlock, it's just a specific caster or whatever it is, but what do you do when you're trying to think of a character? Um, it's it's the former, it's the personality for me. Um, so if I use an example, then it, it, I can talk very specifically about one character, and if you want to listen back, you can hear the development of that character. Uh, so it also asks the question somebody else asked me today, who is my favourite NPC in the whole series, which is Jasper Cobblebottom. Uh -huh. uh, Mine too. <laughs> so Jasper, right. Jasper is a little harmless gnome that lives at the bottom of the mountain. And he's a little bit of Michael Caine. And just a little bit. <laughs> Not a lot of people know that. 
Nah, not a lot of people know that. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't have any neighbours. Um, but but Jasper, you see, so Jasper is the undertaker from Erevon. And the thing about Erevon is people don't like their bodies. They didn't know that. They don't like them. They don't like them lying around. They don't like the smell. So what they do is they put Jasper in this house. And I have to be careful saying house because the bard thought I said ass. So the bard's house is, uh, Jasper's house is at the bottom of the mountain. So he gathers all the bodies. That makes him go a little bit insane. Not a little bit. Well, a little bit. He's only little. He's only got this much insanity in him. He's not a big fella. And he talks to himself. And his wife's left him. So the only person he's got to talk to is a big construct golem called Five. So everybody else thinks he's a nutter. And he leaves him down there. So when it gets into the interaction with him, I have a personality. I've got a form of madness. And I took that from the DMs guy. They're all randomly on the table. You know, voices, talks to himself, etc. Um I love and me some what, random tables. I love random tables. Sorcerer's Well Magic Table is still my favourite. Um, <laughs> but from there, I start to get an idea of how would the players interact with them and how would they find it? But why is this gnome using a golem to put dead bodies in the back of the cart and take him away and talk about quota? I mean, what, what the hell is this? Mm. So do I then know if he is a warrior or a spellcaster? Well, Unfortunately, over the course of time, because poor little Jasper, as he's been called, has been picked on to some extent, he has a character sheet with stats. And when it gets to that level, Jeremy, I like to make a character for him and give mm-hmm. him. So he already has a personality. He already has flaws. Um, using Xanathar's guide more than anything else and the Dungeon Master's guide for a little bit of background just from D&D. Sure. Um, and then after that, it's just where does he sit in society? How is he looked upon? How do people talk to him? If he got into a fight or a brothel, a, a, a brawl or a scuffle, I was combining no, there. Not a brothel. Not a brothel. <laughs> if he got into a brothel, what would be his first part of call? No. Um. <laughs> <laughs> would be the ladies' room at the back to make sure if they stabbed anybody, he would take the dead bodies away because he doesn't know what a brothel's for, you see, Gavin, do. Yes. He just, he picks them up and he walks away with them. Well, either Roland the bartender knows well what a brothel's for. Stand aside, Jasper. <laughs> I, I was standing aside, mate. I'm, not, I'm only little. It's only I'm, a small step. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's my barrel chest, you see. It just obstructs everything. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's how it does. Not my missus, my, my missus Ruby. Well, she was my missus. Did I tell you about my missus? And you can see where he starts to become a little bit, yeah. whenever there's a social interaction, he's not an introvert, he's an extrovert, but nobody wants to engage with this him. This is like, this is the thing. My immediate instinctual response to that was going to be, go away, you horrible little man. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, so, you know, and he's, he's used to it. And this is where yeah, exactly the, the interactions with the, the Bastards of Erevon, until they come up with a better title, is one of them wanted to hug him, one of them wanted to leave him alone and walk away and never talk to him again. <laughs> One of them wanted to protect him properly, stay close to him, bodyguard the whole thing, and bring him with us. And one of them wanted to steal everything in his house. So it was a little bit of, okay. But to, to answer your question, Jeremy, it's at that point, still an NPC, has a background, has an idea, has a voice, has a meaning, a reason to be. Mm. Uh, is he a get off the edge of the map? Is he a pointer? Is he a facility to get from one to another? Or is he just a voice? But with player interaction is probably where I would define it. Once there's more player interaction with that character, then I'll start to say, all right, he's a spellcaster. He's a mage, probably a wizard, or something a little bit different. And that's where I can't tell you any more about Jasper, because he's now, unfortunately, (laughs) or fortunately, if you like him, one of those central plot points at the minute. He's one of my all-time favourites. Uh, I love Jasper. <laughs> they stole everything from me. <laughs> I think it's because it's quite similar to what I use for my goblin voice. This is basically what I've do for that. So it's quite similar. Not quite so much leaning on the, hello, this is Michael Kay. <laughs> and I have a thing or two to tell you about the bloody Zulus. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's, it leans in that direction. So yeah, well, this I, is the I, thing, yeah. I, I pick a... Pick something that means something to me and go with it. So it's my poor interpretation of somebody else doing a voice or something. Absolutely. I think we're blessed, I think, being 
on the British Isles with just the sheer proliferation and diversity of accents that you can be exposed to in a single day um, over a relatively short you know, amount of space geographically. There's one positive and one negative. And I say negative, it's more of a challenge. The positive is I can do a cracking dwarf without breaking anything. I can just roll with it and everything becomes marvellous. Or I can go way up high to Inverness and give you a dwarven wizard, and we don't see many of them around. <laughs> That's true, actually. I you don't tend to see very many. I I, I kind of want to further uh, doing the coast like, but uh, not that many, no. I. And then the flip side, the challenge is running the Curse of Strad. If I said vampire to anybody, including yourselves, what's the first sort of voice you reach for? If you were, you yes, know, it would be this. Yes, it the would be something. Something Transylvanian, I have The no children doubt. of the night, what such music they make. <laughs> my, my partner hates this. <laughs> I, I can well believe it, yeah. And mocks me for it and just kind of goes, okay, so all Scotsmen are raging alcoholics with no common sense. And I went, yes, dear, we're all dwarfs, that's fine. Yeah. Well, but... vampires are Bella Lugosi. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yep. I think I'd probably just do Christopher Lee in that case. Or, or Liam Neeson. Or, yeah. You know, open a, the door. Close the door. No, open and walk through. No. <laughs> and I'll I'll start off planning my NPCs as Bella Lugosi, and they end up as Liam Neeson. And it's just marvellous. Les- Leslie Nielsen. Leslie Nielsen, not Liam Neeson. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different Liam type of Neeson. vampire. <laughs> I have a particular set of canines. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I will find you. And I will consume your blood. I'm trying to think of, I've seen quite a few Christopher Lee Dracula films. He doesn't tend to speak very much in most of them. That's, I think, I don't know if we, I don't think we've covered it or maybe thought about it, but that's what I've found to be the problem behind a podcast. Is mm. that if I'm, if I'm doing a, a game with, with a table, it's completely offline or, or whatever you want to call it, the, the traditional game. If I'm being Strad, I just get to sit there and work on my facial expressions and say very little. Yeah. Um, and script what I'm going to say because with big bad evil guys as NPCs I don't like to riff too much with them, I don't like to make stuff up I like to oh. make sure they know what they're going to say so Percy was one of the big evil guys in our campaign unbeknownst to the players up until the last and everything he said after a certain point was when his evil tendencies came through, it was very scripted. With vampires or leeches you can get a voice down, which I'm really crap at, but you can use the kind of golden silence rule of the player said something fundamentally stupid and he's just going to sit there and look at them and wait. And you can you you can narrate a story around them of bats flying around and flames are flickering a little bit heavier. The grandfather and, clock just tick, tock, tick, tock in the background as he stares deeply at you. The absolute um, stillness of death. Yep, yep. And that, that goes really well. But mm. on a podcast, it's really difficult to do. You do that lose well. a lot of that. Do do you do lose a lot of that? I mean, I do it naturally quite a bit anyway because I play a vampire in, in Roll for Weird. Um, I play an 80, 80, a perpetual eighty-eight-year-old vampire. So, and he has this mesmeric stare where he can take over your mind with the power of suggestion. And obviously when I'm staring at you through a webcam with big boggly googly eyes, it's obvious that that's what I'm doing straight away. That doesn't translate at all to a podcast. And I guess the way that we've sort of got away, tried to get around that is by using uh, audio stings. Yeah. Musical stings or like SFX or Foley uh, to sort of indicate that something's going on. I don't know if you've ever seen the devil rides out. It's a old Hammer horror film with uh, Charles Gray as this uh, devil-worshipping fellow, uh, and he has these incredible monologues where he just hypnotizes people. It's, it's basically just like two notes on a synthesizer, just slowly droning backwards and forwards. But even if you weren't, like, it could be something as simple as that, you know, a piece of audio trick. It just... While I intone this steady voice and your will succumbs to mine. It's really fucking creepy, and you don't need to be able to see me going, like, for it to translate. But also on a similar notion, like, if you're having these moments of silence, 
you can inject little animalistic growls and hisses and sort of things like that. The, the main thing that I can get to is not presently because my mouth's quite dry, but ever since I found out I'm a lip smacker, which I always took to be a negative thing when it comes to podcasting, is have you ever seen the original BFG? Where yes. all of the giant's teeth jut up from the bottom like the traditional mm-hmm. orc does. Mm-hmm. So it was... <laughs> it's, my mouth's quite dry, so I can't get it exact on just now. But if I've usually got an orc or a hill giant or something like that coming, that is usually that more feral nature, I can lean into that. It's it's always difficult with podcasts because you think, can somebody listen to that and enjoy it? Or what do I have to do differently? Musical overtones are great yeah, for that. So, so it's a challenge. Something you've just got to think about. I mean, I've always just, my default arc voice is the 40k arc voice, basically. Stupid homies! <laughs> here we go, here we go, here we go. <laughs> Cockney arc. <laughs> Growling Cockney arcs, those are the ones. And that's what they'll always be to me. Well, with that, I think that we are coming to the end of this episode. Patty, it was amazing to have you on here and talk about NPCs and all these like awesome voices and and yeah, it was really things fun. that we I don't know if we devolved or evolved into. Either way, <laughs> it was a great conversation. But before we go, is there anything else that the two of you would like to just leave our listeners with? Just like one final thing that they can take away from this episode. Uh- General guidance on NPCs or anyone wanting to run a game, whether it is, as you say, Jeremy, D&D or another system, it's the people around the table want to work with you. They want to have fun and they want to be comfortable with you. Give them the opportunity to do so. Make sure that you come across as silly, idiotic sometimes, but, you know, know what you're going to say, but not don't necessarily prepare for everything. Just have fun with it. Yeah. And your players will have fun too. And the more they come back and the more work that you do together, the, the longer the campaign will last and the longer the story will become richer through time. So thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, Grindu, for bringing me on. That's been fantastic. I'm glad really you enjoyed, enjoyed it, man. Because really yeah, it's, been, it's been fun having you on. And uh, I'm sure we'll have I'm sure we'll find other topics that we can discuss at a future date. Uh, it's been It's been great having you on, mate. So, I mean, I guess my final thoughts would be basically to repeat what I said on the episode with uh, our friend uh, Dragonbait, is don't be afraid to look silly. Sometimes you'll try things and they won't work, but the important thing is is just to keep it moving. And at the end of the day, everybody's in it to have a good time. Your players are in it to have a good time. You're in it to entertain them and entertain yourself and just have a good time together. Not everything's going to be, you know, you're not going to have 100% strike rate. Not everything's going to work 100% of the time. Just try and go with it as best you can. And if all else fails, remember that you're the one as DM who's in control of who the characters talk to. And just one more time, Patty, where can our listeners find you so they can check out all the awesome content that you're involved with? Uh, We are mainly on Twitter. Um, We are at Haggis Dragons, or you can find me at Haggis Paddy. Uh, I'm more than happy to be tagged in anything. Conversations opened, um, as is my inbox. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and a host of other services. So look for Haggis and Dragons anywhere you like on any of our main podcast listening apps, whether it's Spotify, uh, iTunes, or anything else that you tend to be using. We're all there. And keep an eye out for YouTube and some other interesting things coming up as well. As always, I just wanted to take some time to say thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope that our discussions were able to entertain and inspire you. Do you have an idea for a guest you'd like to hear us interview? Or perhaps there's a topic you'd like to hear us discuss on the show. We want to hear about it. You can send us comments, questions, or just say hi by going to DiceTalkPod.com. There, you can stay up to date on all the latest Dice Talk news and streaming schedules. Also, be sure to go to MajesticGoose.com, where you can check out all the awesome tabletop shows that we offer on the network. If you want to find us on social media, you can do so on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search Dice Talk and start following us today. You can also get in touch with us by sending us an email to dicetalkshow at gmail.com. And if you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a review. They really help to get us to the top of the charts and get our name out there. Leaving us a review lets us know how you feel about the show, and it really is the best way you can support us right now. Don't forget to tell your friends about us, and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. I'll talk to you next time on Dice Talk. A Majestic Goose Podcast. Oh.